0: Hey, Bible Y'all. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Thursday, December 14th. Happy Roast Chestnuts Day, which celebrates exactly what you think, and that old Nat King Cole song, the one that starts out chestnuts roasting on an open fire and mentions everything to do with Christmas, like Jack Frost and Yuletide, Mistletoe and Santa. Everything that is except the birth of Jesus. You ever heard that song? Yeah, it's real pretty. I like it too. My favorite version is when Red Fox sang it on Sanford and Son. My problem with it is it's not very Christmassy. In fact, most of the stuff he sings about are pagan symbols. For example, Yule refers to a 12-day Germanic festival that's probably connected to Norse or Anglo-Saxon gods. Pagans still dig it today. Jack Frost comes from Anglo-Saxon and Norse paganism and mistletoe is a pagan symbol for male fertility. It's actually way grosser than that, but y'all gotta look that foolishness up on your own. In my five minutes of research, I was not able to determine if ancient pagans used chestnuts, but modern ones sure do. There's no consensus on what they do for you. Some use them for banishing rituals or prosperity or blessing a new home, but they all seem to think chestnuts carry masculine energy, encourage fertility and desire, and can make women conceive. Christians, however, consider chestnuts to be a symbol for chastity, which can't be a coincidence. So yeah, Nat sang to us about paganism, just like pretty much every other pop song. Of course that ain't stopped me from ordering some roast chestnuts off of Amazon a couple years ago. Didn't care for them. Rather have boiled peanuts myself. And don't worry, chestnuts ain't really magical. Carrying a pocket full of them won't banish nobody, make you rich or get you pregnant. They just nuts. Our reading for today is Jonah 1, 4:11, 11, Revelation 5, 1-14, Psalm 133, 1-3, and Proverbs 29, 26, and 27. So if y'all are ready, and long as you're walking with the Lord, can't none of them other pagan spells hurt you neither. They just nuts too. If you're not, then, I don't know, roll them dice I guess, player. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 13th in the Old Testament, we read Obadiah 1, 1 through 1-21, and that's the shortest book of the Old Testament. That's all there is to it. It's one chapter. And there were 13 different men named Obadiah in the Bible because it was a common name back then, I guess, like being named Bob. <laughs> and the name means Lord Servant or Worshipper of Yahweh. And this particular Obadiah was some kind of governor or overseer in the house of that rotten, whiny baby king Ahab. But he managed to remain a devoted servant of God the whole time. And he's known for protecting a hundred prophets of Yahweh from Ahab's wife Jezebel by hiding them in a cave and bringing them food and water. And he also served as emissary between Ahab and the prophet Elijah back in 1 Kings. And his deal here in this book is he was taking it to the Edomites for their part in destroying Jerusalem. And if you'll remember, the Edomites were descended from Esau, so like cousins to the Israelites, but certainly not buddies. And Edom was the land God gave to Esau after he and Jacob had their fallen out. And in the Exodus, Moses asked permission to cross through Edom on their journey out of Egypt, but the Edomite king wouldn't let them. So from that point on, there was bad blood between them. And Obadiah's message in this book is that God will not forget his people in their captivity, but will accomplish his purpose through it. So, talking to Edom, Obi says, God has made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Just because y'all dwellest in the clefts of the rock way up high, y'all think nobody shall bring thee down to the ground. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. And starting in verse 5, there's some interesting language. He basically says, If you get robbed... The robbers would take what they could carry and leave the rest. Same as if you hired grape gatherers, they'd take what they could and leave the rest, especially around the corners for the gleaners, because that was the rule. But guess what? How are the things of Esau searched out? How is all that valuable stuff you tried to keep hidden sought up? All them other kings you thought was y'all's friends? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee, They that are going to eat your bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. In other words, they hit you with a secret blow and you didn't even know it. So for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, y'all are going down. And just to make sure everybody knows who he's talking to, he calls them by the names Edom, the Mount of Esau, and T-Man, who was Esau's grandson. And the reason is, here's what you did. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive... His forces, talking about Jacob's forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. You was right there with them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You sold out your brothers and took their stuff, basically is what he's saying. Neither shouldest thou have cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those that did remain. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head, which having done back to you all the stuff you did to others is usually the worst punishment. Would be for me anyway. But there's some good news. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And just to clarify, it's good news for Israel, not so much for Edom. Because he says the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Esau for stubble. Which sounds rough. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau. And not only that, they of the plain, the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel. All those who I bring through the captivity and let out in 70 years, except Obi probably didn't know that part, is going to get back all they had. They shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And verse 21 says, And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And this hasn't happened yet, and it won't until the last of the four kingdoms Daniel told us about are destroyed. And the stone which smote the image becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. But probably ought to start watching for it because it can't be far off.
1: I just want to point out that the proud heart is deceived. It thinks God does not see. And yet God has opposed, even in battle array against the proud.
0: And then in the New Testament, we read Revelation 4, 1 through 11. And chapter 4 describes the throne room of heaven. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And this language is pretty consistent with rapture language. When the church hears a trumpet and a voice saying, come on up. Maybe it is, maybe it ain't. But whatever. Jesus says, come on up, and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. Remember when I told you to write down the things which were, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter? Well, here we go. (laughs) In verse 2, he gets taken in the Spirit which I think is important. He's not saying this was physically happening to him, but was a vision. Probably because nobody goes where he goes and gets to come back. He gets taken to a room in heaven with a big old giant throne in it. And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. All sparkly and glorious is probably the idea. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. Oh, you mean like the token of the covenant the Lord gave to Noah? Huh, wonder what that's about. The rainbow was in sight like unto an emerald. So a green rainbow or solid like a gemstone. The Benson commentary says the green color was undoubtedly intended to express the everlasting covenant of grace and peace. And from where does Benson draw that conclusion? Don't know. But rainbow is the Greek word iris, which can also mean halo. So it might just mean the throne glows with a green light, which sounds beautiful, but also sounds too simple because I have this great need to overcomplicate things. (laughs) And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So who are these elders? Don't know. Bible don't say. But we can assume they're followers of the Lord, because they're there. And they're wearing white clothes, which indicates righteousness. And what most folks think is they may either represent the church, or the representatives of Israel, or the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, which is what I think. And one variation of these views is that the use of 24 elders may come from First Chronicles 24, in which the priests were organized into 24 groups. And if so, this kingdom of priests represents the church that dwells in heaven with the Lord during the tribulation period. But I say it's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. There's that image of seven lights that represent the Holy Spirit again. And before the throne was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And I want to point out both the seven lamps of fire and this sea are before the throne. And both may mean the seven spirits of God, as if to say you got to go through the Holy Spirit to get to God. In the tabernacle, the sea was the laver. Now it's crystal, no washing needed, and it's mingled with fire. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Four beasts. The word is Zoa, and that means living creatures. It's where we get the word for zoo. And remember, God is called he that dwelleth between the cherubim, so I guess these are them. And verse seven, and the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And Ezekiel saw something similar in his vision of the throne room in Ezekiel ten fourteen. He said, Every one had four faces, the first face was the face of a cherub, the second face was the face of a man, and the third face the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. So why did Zeke see them as single creatures with four faces, and John saw them as individuals? Don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the location, because the throne room came down to visit Zeke, but John was pulled up to the throne room. So maybe some kind of transdimensional thing. I don't know. So why is it lion, man, eagle, calf in one vision, but lion, man, eagle, cherub in the other? Don't know. Maybe that's just what cherubs look like. Cows or oxen. Or maybe these were just different creatures altogether, and I'm way off base. I think they're the same things, but I wasn't there. It is interesting, though, that when the Jews camped in the wilderness and they had to camp in the shape of that giant cross, remember that? They had the Levites in the middle with the temple. And then Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan camped on the east, west, south, and north side. That was really hard to say. Well... When they camped on their tribal standards, the flags they flew above the camps, the ensigns on the standards for Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan were lion, ox, man, and eagle. And all of this screams some kind of hierarchy to me, like their guardian angels or some kind of delineation of authority, like these angels are in charge of these tribes. But, verse 8, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, so they can move fast when necessary, I guess, and also cover themselves like in Isaiah 6 2. So humility and service is the idea, maybe. And they were full of eyes within, so they can pay attention to everything. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So they got one job, to praise God for eternity. And since eternity is outside of time, I wonder if they only have to do it once and it just lasts forever. And then they can go do other jobs. If that's the case, you could probably also do something forever, and it still only be one time. All of time is contained within a single moment of eternity. And I bring that up to illustrate that the stuff we're talking about, the stuff John saw in the throne room of God, for Pete's sake, is not easily understood, or understood at all, really. That's why Jesus told him to signify it, to render it into signs and metaphors and such. Because if Jesus himself showed you a picture of the throne room of God, you wouldn't even understand what you were looking at, if your brain could even see it. Or if it didn't kill you to look at. Not saying it would, not saying it wouldn't. Just saying, don't worry if some of this don't make sense. Because it don't. Just take what you can carry and come back later for the rest. Yeah, some scripture takes more than one trip. But anyway, verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure are they and were created. Remember earlier we learned Jesus was the one on the throne? So all these elders are worshiping Jesus as the Creator God, which is deep. But that's where we stop reading.
1: From the churches to the throne room. Some do interpret John being called up into the throne room as evidence of the rapture. Because after this point, the church is not mentioned at all. And the Lord says, after these things, is that after the church period? After the church hearing the call and being raptured? I don't know.
0: Could be. Yes. Let's hope because it's about to get hairy. Amen. But in Psalms, we read Psalm 132, 1 through 18. And that's a song of degrees. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions is the idea. He's asking for mercy. Because David worked really hard for the Lord to have a tabernacle. He said, I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Sounds like he was doing a podcast. <laughs> and I think the idea is, please don't forget us, your servants, Lord. And he doesn't, because the rest of the psalm is what happened after the Lord gave them the tabernacle. Like, let thy priests be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. So just stick with the Lord and everything will be okay eventually. You don't got to understand it and every single thing won't be okay, but it's all going to work out. That's what resting in the Lord means. Not that there's no difficulty or work, just the confidence that he's got this in spite of the tribulation. Yeah,
1: and I also see this as declaring God's love and commitment to Israel.
0: And in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 29 verses 24 and 25. And 24 says, Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and berayeth it not. And this is weird King James language, and it has some translational issues. But according to the commentaries, in the Hebrew, the idea here is a man who receives stolen goods goes to court, and the judge admonishes him to divulge where he got them, But he doesn't, and he has to get punished. Which is metaphor for him getting punishment from God. Therefore, he hateth his own soul. And that was a long way to go for that, but King James, you know. And then verse 25 says, the fear of man, in other words, worrying too much about what people think or are going to do to you, in other words, bringeth a snare. He's saying, we don't worship people, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And it doesn't mean people won't do nasty things to you. It just means God will shelter you from some of that. And if they end up killing you, God will bring you home.
1: Yeah. And now I'm running these two verses together. Both deal with the snare of looking to man instead of God. And if we hate ourselves, we make bad decisions because our expectations are so low. If we bond with a thief, we can't betray him. The remedy is found in verse 25b, learning to trust God for promotion, for elevation, for affirmation, healing, whatever is needed. Trust God for that.
0: But that's the end of our review of Yesterday's Study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for December 14th. Is Jonah one one through four eleven, the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if it so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellows, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless the men rowed hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought, and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2 Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil, that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Our reading in the New Testament for December 14th is Revelation 5:1 1-14. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, as such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. Our reading in Psalms for December 14th is Psalm 133, 1-3. A Song of Degrees of David Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And our reading in Proverbs for December 14th is Proverbs 29, 26, and 27. Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. And that is that for the 14th. All right, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on Revelation 2.18, which says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on rooting out sin, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, please help us to do holy works of charity, service, faith, and patience such that the last may be greater than the first. Teach us to recognize and root out the influence of the Jezebel spirit that uses false teaching to seduce your children to commit sin and idolatry. If we are guilty of indulging such a wicked spirit, we hereby repent, for we know such sinfulness leads only to tribulation and death. Thank you for your promise of leadership to he who can persevere. May we hold fast until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible y'allin. I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them somehow. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like Bible Y'all and you want to support it, best thing y'all can do is to pray. For me and Bible Y'all Squaw and all our friends and family. And if you got any prayer requests, email them to bibleyallpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just work on not making them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible Y'all. And then Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan camped on the east. And then Judah, Meru. I should just talk like that the whole time. <laughs> and then Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan camped on the east, west, south, south, and south.
1: <laughs> that was pretty good.
0: I'm just going to start the whole thing over. <laughs> they had the Levites in the middle with the temple. And then Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan camped on the east, west, south, and north side. That was really hard to say.